0: And we get quite a bit of it tonight so we pick it up in first peter chapter 4 verse 12 where peter just left off about jesus getting glory in anything and everything in our lives that's that's the objective that that's the will of god that christ would be glorified in our life verse 12 beloved do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you though as though some strange thing happened to you But rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part, he's blaspheming, but on your part, he's glorified. So the first part of this passage tonight, look at that, the phrases and the words uh, in verse 12. Do not think it's strange. How often do you see that phrase in the Bible? Not very often. Do not think it's strange. What would we think is strange? A fiery trial which is trying us. Okay. As though some strange thing happened to you. There are weird things that happen. There's strange things that happen. And fortunately in the Lord, we can know that nothing happens, that God doesn't allow to happen. So it was always order and design. As I say, there's, there's no dumb luck with the Lord. God's always got a plan and a purpose with everything in our lives. We just saw on Saturday night that he knows the hairs on our head. He's got them counted. And there's no randomness with the Lord for his people. And even those who aren't his people, he's literally like the song says, he's got the whole world in his hands. And there's nothing random happening in his universe. Like somehow he needs a report or a messenger to come for him from some part of the world. He's like, can you give me a report on India? God knows everything that's going on in India today. To the most minutest details of the thoughts and intents of every heart of every person that lives in India or Saudi Arabia or Paraguay or here tonight. So there's no randomness with the Lord. But there are things that happen in our personal life that we think are strange. Like, oh, that was weird. Like that was such a, what was that all about? Like, that was really weird. Like, things happen where we think they are strange or unusual or weird or whatever, and they happen. Now, in the context here, he says, do not think it's strange. So, there'd be a disposition to think it is strange. So, what would we think is strange? The fiery trial that's to try us, and in their context, it's a trial because of faith in Jesus. And if you have faith in Jesus, which most of us, if not all of us do, we get trials just because of our faith in Jesus. Like. Every step forward with the Lord in our personal lives is guided, guarded, protected, and prospered by the Lord, but it is also resisted and refuted by the devil. Light expels darkness, and that battle is always there, and the spiritual battle is always there. It's going to be there. When everything went wrong in Job's life, he's like, oh my goodness, like, naked I came from the womb, naked I'll return, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. And yet, at the same time, he has no idea what's going on in heaven. Satan's up there trying to prove him uh, a capitulator to his faith. That's what's going on in heaven at that time. Aren't you glad that the book of Job shows us that in his earthly trial, it's not dumb luck that the Sabians come and take everything, or the the whirlwind comes this way. I mean, he got bad news from every direction in a matter of moments where he lost everything and he can just say the Lord has given, the Lord has taken. He still saw the Lord over it and then we're told what was really going on in heaven. That God was bragging about him that no matter how much adversity happens, it doesn't break the will of Job and his faith in God. That is why even in Ezekiel, 1500 years later, that's a long time. During the captivity, in a time when the glory of the Lord has departed from the temple, God is still bragging about Job. Daniel, Noah, Job. Then in the New Testament, in the first letter written by James, where we're told not to grow weary in doing good, not to lose heart, but just to be patient for God's purposes. Again, the Holy Spirit brings up Job for the church age and says, we know the end that the Lord intended that it was good. There are strange things that happen. There are weird things that happen. There are things that happen to us that seem so random, so unfair, like what is this person's problem? What is this thing? You know, like it could be as simple as my wife driving home a year and a half ago and some weird guy in a car following her and she having to ditch him and figure out another way to get home. And it could just be weird stuff like that. It could be Hannah driving on Yorktown and being pursued by a man my age, jumping out of the car, coming after her at Yorktown and Main Street, and then three guys in another car jumping out and defending her. Those things have happened in our family history. There's strange things that happen, but God has our back. God has our back, and everything that happens has a divine purpose and plan that can be flipped for good with faith, and we ought not to lose heart in doing good, and we ought to always stay on track and not think things strange. One of the things I really enjoy about studying different uh, successful organizations and sports programs and dynasties in sports is you will find certain common threads, like a consistency of the culture of character, like what people expect and how you carry yourself and that culture reigns supreme over talent. Things like that are super consistent in successful organizations. But one thing that you see when you study, especially in the last hundred years of super successful sports, whether it's like a Newt Rockne in Notre Dame or Saban in Alabama or John Wood in UCLA, is the great, the great teams and the great athletes never, ever make excuses they never give way for excuses and they never give into excuses. They don't let all the chaos and strange things that happen get them off track. They never reference it in press conferences. They never make bad calls and excuse. They never reference of them. They do not. They don't go backwards. They go forward. What about this? We're moving on to Cincinnati. Okay, like it's always forward and no excuses. And there's a lot to be said for that, because there's a lot of Christians that stop living and stop going forward because some strange thing happened to them. And that's all they can talk about. Life's a press conference, and that's all out of the abundance of a heart that we speak. And that's all they talk about is some strange thing or unjust thing or bad call or whatever, and they can't get past it of we of all people in Jesus Christ should be able to get past the fiery trials or strange things that happen to us like he has a bad call the calls even out and not only that even if they don't the Lord's over the calls he's he's over the calls and I've shared this not that long ago but when I always go back to when we lost our son and we had the follow-up visit with the doctor that delivered him And he was a doctor that misdiagnosed Jennifer and sent her home the week before we lost our son. So it was very awkward. It was through Medi-Cal, and it was just a really awkward thing. And he couldn't look me in the eyes. So he sent her home. Then he delivered our son, who was dead. And then five weeks later, we have the follow-up visit with the guy for, like, you know, here's what the lab reports said, you know, that kind of stuff. This is is 1988, uh, 89. And uh, he couldn't look at me. It was really awkward, and I and, and finally I was like, Doc, Doc, look, look at me. This is a young Joey. Like I'm like what 28, and and I was like, it's okay. Because he had said it was hey, we did we did all this research and and it, 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 there's only been like 20 cases on the planet of this and, and uh, you know it's it's one in a million that this could happen, and I just said, Doc, it's okay, man. Our God's bigger than one in a million. Our God's bigger than one a million. It's okay, man. This is between us and the Lord. This is all between me and Jennifer and the Lord. You're just, it's all good. Never seen him again. But he felt all this guilt, like somehow it was his fault because he sent her home. And then he had to deliver our son who had passed just a day before, you know? And then he had to do the follow-up. And it was just random in a way that he was the guy in all three scenarios because we had different doctors coming and going because it was Medi-Cal, As our first kid, we don't know what to expect. And it's like, it's good. It's between us and the Lord. See, don't think it's strange considering the fiery trial that tries you. Everything is a test from the Lord. And everything that's a test from the Lord is a temptation from the devil to turn you against the Lord. There was a temptation for Job to blaspheme God and deny his faith. And there was the test of the Lord for Job to stand and trust in the Lord with his faith. It's that simple. God, for the people of faith, causes all things to work together for good. And for the blasphemers, it's never enough. And it doesn't work for good. So when Peter's writing these guys saying, don't think it's strange. You got a fiery trial. You serve the Lord. You're going to have fiery trials. The devil knows your address. God knows the hairs on your head. The devil probably doesn't, but he knows your address. He, He knows your address for sure. And he's opposed to every good thing that God's doing in your life. Where there's life, he wants to bring death. Where there's hope, he wants to bring despair. Where there's a future, he wants to destroy you with your past. I mean, it's just, it's just endless. Where there's light, there's darkness. Where there's, you know, grace, there's condemnation. It's just, it, it, it's just absolutely polar opposites of what the Lord wants to do in our life through things that seem strange versus what the devil's trying to accomplish through things that seem strange. So there's injustices, things go wrong. Just, it's not about excuses. It's not about blaming anybody or anything else or, or blaming the Lord, if you will. It's like, it's between you and the Lord. It's going to be between you and the Lord on the day of Christ Jesus. It's going to be between you and the Lord when we stand before him. You need to learn how to work things out between you and the Lord. Yeah, Reading about David and Bathsheba and Uriah in my devotions, it's just so interesting. Like when Uriah gets killed at the battlefront on the order of David through Joab, and the report comes from the messenger, and David goes, well, the sword takes, and it, the sword devours, and that's the way of war. And isn't it crazy, because once Nathan reproves him, and it's all brought to pass, and Bathsheba gives birth to the child, and the child dies after a week, and uh, God says, I've forgiven you, but the sword will never depart from your house. How ironic is that? When Uriah was cut down under David's decree, David's like, well, it's a sword. It's the way of sword. It's the way of the sword. And then when he saw the accountable for what he did, God's like, "Yeah, it's the way of the sword, and it's on your household. I've forgiven you. And isn't it crazy? Because the one child the Lord took, and David said, "I can't go to him, but I mean, he can't come to me, but I can go to him." And that was the end of that whole thing, But then God gives Bathsheba Solomon, and it's, what does it say about Solomon? The Lord loves Solomon. It seems strange, doesn't it? It's all a test. Everything's a test. It's a test of our faith. It's a test of our confidence in the Lord. And it's us in the Lord. It's us in the Lord. It's us in the Lord in a multitude. It's us in the Lord and are our, by ourselves. It's it's just, don't think things are strange or weird. They are. The human experience is strange and weird. You have a saving faith, the devil's opposed to you. A lot of strange and weird things are going to happen. How many times I've been in ministry and I turn to somebody, wow, that's so bizarre. How many times, like, Jeremy and I, or me and Jameson, and me and Broderson, or me and Victor Marks, where I was like, dude, this is so weird. It's like, hello, it's so weird. It's like, I mean, Jeremy Camp, this is bizarre. And he's like, dude, it's so crazy. It's like, yeah. So don't think it's strange. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay true, stay faithful, have faith, stand on the rock, trust in the rock, and don't be moved. Let a good story come from what seems strange and weird. Because there's no randomness, with the Lord. Oh, it's one in a million. No, Doc, it's okay. Our God's bigger than one in a million. We we got this. He's got this. We're we're good, man. Have a great life. God bless you. You know, it's all good. We'll go forward. We'll go forward. It's all good. And we did, and we do. <laughs> you know, like what are we can do? Blame it, blame blame that on a doctor for thirty years. <laughs> Come on, man. Just stay in the moment, got to go forward. That's just the way life plays out before the Lord. So, and particularly in the Lord, it can be persecution at work. It can be strange things. It can be demonic things. Don't even understand what's going on like Job and we're told that when the Lord comes, we should just be glad. He says in verse 14, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. There are things that we suffer as believers in Christ that we don't even know why we're suffering, but it is because of our identity in Christ. You may not know it, but it's true, and it's happening. There's always so much more going on in the spiritual realm than what we see in time, space, and matter, and he says here when Christ comes in his glory, we're going to have glory with him. Whatever we've suffered for his namesake or are identifying with him, whether it be in the realm of the physical that we see or the realm the spiritual that we don't see we should be glad and be we should be glad and exceedingly joyful we're when his glory is revealed we're going to be rejoicing because in the extent that he suffered for us we saw that last week christ suffered in the flesh for us what a powerful verse that was verse one of this chapter and to the extent that he did and we suffered things and we can just connect that to identifying with christ there's a reward in that in all eternity And that's why he says in verse 14, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. There's a blessing when you're reproached for Christ. Now, so this is a little more specific where there's actually uh, affliction or trial or persecution because of Christ. But rarely does someone just like give you a hard time at work because you're a Christian or the neighbors give you a hard time. They don't say, like, hey, we don't like you and we scowl at you for 10 years because you're a Christian. Like, that might be the motive behind it, but really people don't do it that often, not in our society. Of course, in other countries, they'll do all kinds of ruthless and brutal things for you against you because you are a Christian. But in our society, we're more civil, and there's more boundaries and law and order and that kind of stuff. But to whatever you reproach for the name of Christ, there's a blessing. And Jesus said that. We can never forget that. There's a blessing on us when we suffer because of Christ, his namesake or righteousness' sake. And when we're reproached, the, the, for the spirit of glory of God rests upon us, and on their part, he's blasphemed, but on our part, he's glorified. So if we're ever reproached because of our faith in Jesus through a fiery trial that seems strange, l- just let keep, keep on keeping on. Let, let Christ be glorified in your life, and if people want to blaspheme against the Lord when they're attacking you and persecuting you, what are you going to do? Look at Tim Tebow. That guy, has got so many haters because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Tim Tebow, the football player, baseball player. And, you know, he's a virgin. That that offends and bothers a lot of people who walk in defilement. They, they are offended by his purity, and they mock him and all these things. And he doesn't care what people think. He didn't care what they thought when he was in high school. He didn't care what he thought when he played for the Florida Gators. He didn't care what they thought when he played for you know, the Denver Broncos and the Jets. The guy's a winner everything he does because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He doesn't care what they think about him doing purity conferences. They don't, he doesn't care what they think about him when he's ministering to people with special needs. He doesn't care what people think about him when he goes to the Philippines with his parents and the mission outreach and the ministries they've been doing for decades. He doesn't care. He really does not care what people think. When he came back to do baseball, and it was a mockery, everyone's making fun of him, laughing at him, taunting him. It was for a approach for Christ. They're not making fun of him because he they're making fun because he walks in purity. and He loves Jesus. That's why Tim Tebow was so maligned. But also that faith is the very reason he fills stadiums all over double A ball. But the interesting thing about Tim Tebow as a side note is he did make the all-star team this year in double A ball. And they say he's gonna get the call up to the Mets before the season's done. And they interviewed every manager in that league that he's in, the double-A league there in the Carolinas, and they said, Tim Tebow is a great baseball player, and he's going to the big leagues. You can't worry about what people think. On you, they let the glory of Christ abide upon you, and you just stay true to what God's called you to do, and true, true to this, true what God's called you to do, your, who you are in your core values, and speaking of which, how about Uriah? David tries to get him to go home to his wife. He's like, oh, how far be it for me to do that with the Lord or my you know, everyone's at war, and then David gets him drunk. When he was drunk, he still wouldn't go home to be with his wife. Talk about core values. Uriah's like, his core values cost him his life at the hand of David, of all things. It's the craziest thing. But Uriah didn't change. He was true to himself and his character and faith with the Lord. And that's what we need to be when we're approached for the name of Christ. So whether it's Uriah, and it's a really ugly situation with a bad ending, when you go down, go down a, a warrior and courageous in faith. And he did. No one gets away with anything. And if you're walking in purity and everyone wants to talk about you, you just be true to who you are and your convictions, and your con- character. And if things things strange all around you, then that's just the way it's going to be. But don't stop being Tim Tebow with your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is really important. This is very important stuff. Be true to your faith and your convictions and your character. And don't think it's strange just because it is strange. Step back, be alert, kind of discern the situation. Okay, Lord, where do we go from here? And you you cannot let the loud noise of unbelief and the haters uh, and the persecutors stop you from being true to who you are in your faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar can get in your face and scream, bow when I play this song, and you just got to say, like, it's not going to happen. This is really weird. This is really strange. This ranting king is 90-foot statue of gold. This is really weird, but this is who we are, and we're not changing. We're pilgrims. See, if your heart's in eternity, then that's the compass that keeps you straight. When Persecutions and difficulties arise. That seems strange, but if your heart's set on a pilgrimage and you're set on eternity, and your faith is in Jesus and His character and His promises and what He's done, you just like you just got to keep on keeping on. No matter who you are, no matter where we live, no matter what circumstances we're in, let the blessing be upon us. If people want to bless Him, the Lord, they're going to bless Him, the Lord. But let us be the ones whom the Spirit of glory rests upon. Amen. We read on now, verse fifteen. Says this, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. So, this is an extension of that thought. But, so we've mentioned this repeatedly going through this book. Like, we all suffer, there's guaranteed suffering in life. You know, you can't get to 80 and not suffer. People you love get sick and they die. It's just no good look. It's just... Rooms are empty because the people are gone. Your heart's empty because someone's left. You know, like... There's just... Horrible experiences in life. And we all suffer just by being human beings going through this planet in a journey of 80 years. Okay? That's just a reality. It's going to happen. And we've talked about this. But there is a... There's a suffering like we've been just covering about reproach for Christ. But then there's suffering for our own mistakes and bad decisions. Again, referring David, I mentioned earlier, when God said, you know, the sword's not going to depart from your household. That was a self-imposed suffering. And I really was breaking that down. Like, what could David, like, what if it just stopped with Bathsheba, but he didn't, he didn't execute Uriah? Like, what would that look like? That's just, what if this baby doesn't die? What does that look like? But what did God say? You've given the enemies, my enemies, a chance to reproach me through what you did. So God kind of just, whatever it was, he he said it straight. And that's just the way it went down. And um, God loved Solomon, and Solomon made his choices that brought consequences upon him and his family that were self-determined. Pharaoh's daughter, her idols coming in the house. You know, it all, it all it all catches up. So there is a reality that we can suffer as an evildoer. Not ne- not just because uh, we sought to do evil. Like, it's not like we want to wake up and say, oh, I want to do evil. But you can do something very foolish in one day and have a far-reaching consequence. You know, I, I still pray for that situation in Florida where the girl... Was working at at a restaurant and bar, and drove home. She was just right on the alcohol legal drunk limit, you know, the point zero point eight whatever it is in Florida. And uh, you know, she she hit that kid on the bike on the causeway, and he was killed. And she didn't resist anything. The police came. She she did the breathalyzer. I've seen footage of the court. All the kids from. Hannah's youth group that were there and other friends from the from the uh, Vero Beach High School. And, you know, this girl's still in prison right now. And just one really bad decision. And society deems that she's going to be in prison for seven years. And it's not like she got up that day and said, boy, I just want to drink a little too much being stupid in my, not even, it's not even fair to say that, just being part of the crowd. See, my nephew, Jimmy, cousin Jimmy has been working at a restaurant bar in Carlsbad, and he's been making good money and getting out of the debt that he created for his previous bad decisions, and now he's making good decisions, but he told me like, hey, the bar scene is old, man. I got to get out of this. He's actually looking at different careers through the GI Bill because he served in the army to build his life with a career. He's literally doing that right now because he's, he's seen what can happen in that club scene and you just make one bad decision and it can have such far-reaching consequences just so far-reaching it's not like we wake up to do evil but if you're not sharp and you're not alert it's not hard to do evil or stumble into evil if we're not predetermined and setting our passion and compass toward goodness it is not hard at all to do something evil without any intent Uh, and look what's even on this list, not just uh, the obvious evil of being a murderer, a thief, and an evildoer, but how about just a busybody? A busybody, like, you know, doesn't that get your attention? Like, how often do you see that? It's like, wow, a busybody. That's why I say, like, God be true to every man a liar. You know, like, everyone's got an opinion, and and it's like, I say this regularly, the wiser you get, the less you realize how important your opinion is, apart from your convictions. We don't, it's just like, let God be true. His opinion matters. No one else's does. Let God be true and every man a liar. What is it about America? That everyone feels because we have freedom of speech that we have to speech and speak our, our freedom, even if it proves us a fool. Or as the proverb says, keep your mouth shut and be better, be thought a fool than open it and proving that you are one. Everyone's got an opinion. And family members have opinions about other family members. Extended family. Everyone's got an opinion about your best day, your salary, your income. Everyone's got an opinion about why something bad happened to you. Everyone's got an opinion. Let God be true, and every man a liar. The world needs less busybodies. The world needs more people who aspire to live a quiet, peaceful life, honorable to the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 4. This is the will of God that you aspire to live a quiet, peaceful life, be a good citizen, be a blessing to your community, be a blessing, be a part of the solution, be a healer, not part of the problems. But it's amazing because when you consider how we just looked at words Saturday night in the text in Luke about, there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. There's nothing spoken in secret that won't be declared from the rooftop. And this is why the Lord says that for, for every idle word, we'll give an account. The context of things being revealed in Luke 12 is our words. And so busy bodies and other people's matters. We just need to mind our own business. Isn't that funny? Like what do, what do teachers tell kids in pre-K? Mind your own business. What does Aslan tell, you know, everyone in Narnia? Mind your own business. You know, I love that part of C.S. Lewis' uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan, whenever he's asked about someone else's business, like, like Lucy's like, Well, what about Peter? Aslan's like, What I have for Peter, I have for Peter. What I have for you, I have for you. That's just a nice way of saying, Mind your own business. That's what Jesus said with Peter and John. Peter's like, Well, what, what about John? He's like, What I have for John, I have for John. What I have for you, I have for you. Jesus in the last chapter of John, or Aslan and Narnia. Mind your own business and let God take care of it. It's a good word. In a time in America where everyone wants to mind everybody else's business, it's a good exhortation from the Holy Spirit. Mind your own business. Because any fool can vent their wrath or their opinion and be proven a prattling fool. But it takes a wise woman and a wise man to control their words and speak the words of life when they speak. For in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Good words, carefully spoken, are a well of life. Now, so he's just saying, like, when you have trouble in the Roman Empire, don't let it be because you're a troublemaker. If you have trouble and you're suffering, don't don't blame it on Caesar if it's your own doing, right? That's what he's saying. Like, you know, don't blame it on the president or the governor or like just if you got if you got. If you got trouble because you caused trouble, then like just woman up and man up and say like, I brought this on myself and, and grow and learn from it. So he's saying you're blessed if you're going through weird things and hard times because of you're a believer or you're approached because of Christ, let God be glorified. But don't suffer because you, you are not a, a benefit to society. Don't suffer because you make bad decisions because there's no glory in that. That's just you doing what you're doing. If you suffer because you're a Christian, you identify with Christ, don't be ashamed. You know, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Verse 16, it's the power of God unto salvation who all believe. Peter's saying the same thing. Don't be ashamed. Just glory in the Lord in that matter. If you're truly suffering for righteousness sake, then you can glory in the Lord. If you're suffering for personal folly and foolishness, then there's no glory in that. And if you're suffering just because it seems like random, dumb luck, well, there can be glory in that as long as you trust in the Lord because all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But if we're suffering because we've made bad decisions, then we've got to own it and reflect on it, examine it, grow and learn from it. Verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? a great question. Verse 18, quoting Proverbs 11. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So this verse 17 is a pretty well-known thought process of the New Testament. For the time has come for judgment and Judgment to begin in the house of God. When you look at the Old Testament, and Israel was chastened by the Lord in their covenant, they had a covenant, they're people of a covenant with God. And when God chastened Israel, he would chasten Israel, and he would allow the Assyrians to conquer them, the Babylonians to conquer them, or they get overrun by the Midianites and Moabites in the time of the judges. But in the end, what, what happens? What's the cycle? God chastens his people, and then the people that he used to chasten his people, he just thumps them. In other words, he got, whom, God, whom God loves, he chastens. This is very clear. You know, uh, the Lord chastens those he loves. So just like parents, good parents are going to reprove their children and correct them and hold them accountable. That's what the Lord does. And so that's a judgment to produce correction, chastening. Uh, so we're not judged when people are condemned. But if you look at the Old Testament, God would deal with his people first and then he'd deal with everybody else. You look at the book of Isaiah, woe to Judah, woe to the priests who do this and to the false shepherds. Then it's like woe, big throw down woe on everybody else. There's a big woe on Edom, a big woe on Egypt, a big woe on everybody. And who's still standing after it all plays out? The people of covenant. That's who's still standing. See, this is what separates the believer in Christ from the world. We're chastened by the Lord, but it's to produce righteousness for those who are trained by it, as it says in the book of Hebrews, to become more like the Lord. We don't chasten our children to discourage them or dishearten them. We chasten them for good or as, you know, do you think I'm for you or against you? And then the kids hopefully wisely say, you're for me right so we need to get this right we need to deal with this god chastens who he loves and he chastens for correction for growth maturity and preparation in time space and matter for fruit in time and fruit and purpose and usefulness in eternity here's the thing that's that's so sobering to me about eternity and the judgments of the lord you don't get to to come back. Like, you don't get to come back. We're all going to get to heaven and think like, oh my goodness, I mean, it's possible we could do this, but since we're accountable for everything, it's very probable. It's like, oh, why didn't I, how did I let that one get away? Why didn't I seize that opportunity and why didn't I just receive that correction? Why did I go on the strike for two decades with the Lord, because this thing happened in my life that disappointed me. I know people have done that. I know people that were walking with the Lord, and because it didn't work out the way they wanted to, with one thing, like a job or a raise, they go on strike for two, two decades. Like, we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to see the game film, and, and it's not like we have another game next week. Or as Bill Belichick from New England Patriots says, this is a death game. It's a playoff game. Whoever loses is going home, and there's not another game. See, there's not another game. You have a bad day, you might have another day of life to go tell that person you're sorry, make this right, make this straight. But once we step into eternity, it's a death game. There's there's not another game. We're just, there's not, hey, we're moving on to the championship game. No, it's, it's, or we're eliminated. We have, we always have next season. Let's start, you know, let's go to work on next season. No, there is no next season. There's no replays. It's a point in men and women to die once and then the judgment before the Lord. We are what we are. Whatever our crowns have, that's what they have. There's no additional jewelry coming to the crown once or in eternity. This is not going to happen. Unless you're Lazarus or someone that Elisha touches in the Old Testament, which is very rare, so don't count on that. When you step into eternity, expect that to be this is it. This is your resume. You know, when they try, they do the Hall of Fame inductions. You know, they just had the six baseball players, you know, inducting in the Hall of Fame. And they look at the resume. They have a 15-year window at a vote. The writers vote, this and that. It's like, here's their resume. They compare resumes. Their resume is their resume. It's not like a baseball card that has the last five seasons plus last season. And you're still playing for the Angels. No, this is a complete career resume. There's nothing going to be added to it. It is what it is that's eternity. So that is a very sobering thought to me, that we don't, there's not another opportunity. And that's why Paul said to redeem the days, to redeem the time, for the days are evil. And, or the great Jim Elliot said, only one life soon will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. Or Jim Carrey, the father of modern missions, said, attempt great things from God, expect great things from God. I would much rather be the one that totally goes for it fearlessly for the Lord all in than to just have done nothing. I admire people like Brian McDaniels and all that God's done through his life and just from getting saved and delivered from alcohol abuse and all this stuff and his wife left him and all these things and then you know he's a single dad raising a kid and then he's You know he's going out to the block every weekend to share the gospel. Back in the early WG days, and taking the beating that comes with that, and just serving the Lord. And then he goes on this mission trip to Russia. Has these incredible stories. He goes on this mission trip to somewhere else, and just goes to the ends of the earth sharing Christ with all these incredible stories. And then he ends up in Haiti. And then he, the rest is church history. What God's done with Cross to Light Ministry in Haiti. You got to go for it, because there is a judgment. You got to go for it on what God wants to do in our life to transform us. We got to go for it with what God wants to do in our life in using us. We can't sit around and second guess this and that and everything else. Don't overthink it. Just run with it and go for it. Sometimes when I can't sleep, I just meditate and think of 30 years of my life with Jesus and my wife. My wife and Jesus, they kind of run parallel. And I think about Vermont, <laughs> I just start laughing. Let's be like laughing at two in the morning about, <laughs> you know, like life lessons. You can't go for it. You gotta go for it. You know, and your kids, you gotta encourage them to go for it. Because it's important on a to die once and then the judgment. You can't go for it. Don't miss it. Go big, go all out. Ask for the ball at the game on the line. Be the one that wants to kick the ball. Let them call a timeout. Let them call two timeouts. You're still going to come out and you're going to kick that ball right down the middle. And if you don't, you didn't let that keep you from doing it. Stay on point with the Lord. Keep eternity in front of us. Forward, onward, upward, Philippians. And just don't hold back. Why, what are we going to hold back for? It's a point in a minute to die once. If we're scarcely saved, what about the people that aren't saved? The blasphemer is like, Let them do what they're going to do. We don't have time for it. We don't have time to, in the press conferences of life, what about this, what about that? We don't have time for it. There's no time for blasphemers. There's just no time for it. There's today, there's this moment, there's Jesus, his character, his promises, his calling, the right hand of the Father, and things to do this day. That's what we have time for. So we redeem the time and we go big in faith, looking unto Jesus. And let it play out, and here's the resume when we get to eternity. Take ourselves out of the game by foolish decisions. Put the mistakes behind us immediately. All the great ones do. Michael Jordan can quote how many basketball shots he missed in his career. It's like 8,900 shots he took as a pro basketball player that he missed. He's just part of life receive the chastening, receive the correction, and we grow in the Lord. That's what we want to do. That's the winning plan. And the blasphemers, that's thats their deal. Whatever we go through, whatever adversity, whatever unfair calls life brings us, whatever false accusations come against us, whatever self-inflicted mistakes we make, we repent, we grow, we learn, we go forward, and we commit our souls to him who is the faithful creator, and we commit ourselves to doing good this day because that's what we have and that's what we can control. That's it. So as Peter's saying, let Caesar be Caesar. You be a Christian. You be the church. Let Caesar be Caesar. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to burn Rome. He's going to blame you. That doesn't change you. You be true to you because we're going to outlast Caesar. There's a bunch of relic buildings in Rome right now that speak of the Roman Empire. We're here and we're alive and we're the kingdom. And our kids are alive and they're the next generation so you know what judgment's going to come and the final assessment's going to come but right now we just stay in the game and not get down when things don't go our way we're going to be just fine let God deal with the blasphemers and the haters and whatever we suffer in the will of God say amen all your promises are yes and amen and just stay on course trust God as to him who's a faithful creator who sent his son who's a faithful savior and not be moved none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, is what Paul said. And we just keep on. So like Danny was actually praying earlier, like whatever you're going through, just embrace it. It's a great day. It's a great day to have faith in Jesus as yesterday was and as tomorrow will be. So just go forward. Let the Lord cover your back and bring you through these things to his praise, his honor, and his glory. Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight and its application to our lives.